Hello, and welcome to the Letters from Our Fathers podcast, where we explore the actual history of America's founding fathers from their own written words and personal correspondence, but without modern partisan political ideologies. I am your host, Roman. Now let's learn some real history. All right. Welcome back, everybody from around the world. Welcome back. It's great to have you with me on this episode of the podcast. This is going to be episode number 34, and I hope you enjoyed the previous episode of this podcast. Put a lot of work into those so that it's a good product for you, and I hope it uh, hope it turns out that way. And uh, as always, uh, broadcasting here on Letters from Our Founding Fathers, but also broadcasting on Patreon.com slash Podcast with Roman. If you want to check out my other podcast there, you can. Subscription-based podcast, of course. That's uh, the revenue-generating podcast, to the extent it generates revenue. But uh, I also have a free episode over there if you want to give it a try, if you want to listen to what I talk about over there um, without having to pay for it. You certainly can, because there is a an episode that's open to everybody, and then the rest of it is sub- subscription-based. But anyways, uh, what we're gonna what we're gonna do here today is again continue with the letters. This is gonna be a feature-length episode where we're gonna get into the letters and documents uh, that the founding fathers were writing, and I think this is gonna be a good episode, good discussion that we're gonna have, and gonna inform us about uh, more of what was going on during this period of time and what was going through the minds of the founding fathers. Which is what we're what we're really here for in big in large measure is to talk about what was going through the minds of these guys and gals uh, as we do read letters from Abigail Adams and uh, uh, Mrs. Warren. I believe we've touched on previously with regards to a letter that she wrote. But either way, we continue on this march through the through the letters in 1774 and 75. And certainly, per usual, if you have any questions or comments or anything like that, you can leave them in a review to this podcast on Apple Podcasts. You can leave a review and then just, you know, if you have a question, just leave it in there and I'll, I'll look at it. If you have a comment, just leave it in there and I'll look at it. And uh, if it's uh, if it's something, uh, you know, that you have a question about or a comment about that pertains to this podcast, I'll, I'll usually bring it on the podcast and talk about it. And then, of course, uh, if you uh, want to leave a comment or a question over on patreon.com slash podcasts with Roman, you can leave it over there as well uh, on my other podcast uh, if you decide to subscribe over there. Not required, but you can uh, if you choose, or you can just listen to this podcast and let it be. But uh, certainly, uh, thank you to all you folks out there who really uh, who really spend the time to Listen to this podcast and learn this material with me, and study the material with me, because I believe it's very important material. You can't really uh, can't really stress enough the importance of this stuff that we talk about here. This is the the building of a country, and it's uh, the interaction between people and their government in a very very stressful and difficult time. This this time period is very very tough. This was a very tough time for the people who lived through it. This was not easy. This was not a romantic sunshine and rainbows version of uh, of history this this very difficult time for these people uh, they're they're getting ready to face a war they're engaged in a very very strenuous dispute between uh, themselves and their government and if you want to know how governments and their people interact with each other and how these things go wrong this is a fantastic fantastic time period to study and who doesn't who doesn't experience that kind of stuff i mean what country doesn't experience interactions between the government and their people and sometimes difficulties in that regard. Every country does, so every country should study this stuff. But do they? No. Much to their own detriment, I might say. 
Uh, countries are only, you know, people in, in the various countries of the world are only shooting themselves in the foot by not studying this stuff. Which is why I like to say, you know, everybody should be listening to this podcast because just because of that, if for no other reason. And uh, it's never been easier to study this material than it is right now, because all you have to do is listen to this podcast. That's simple. A couple hours a week and boom, you're done. Very simple. And uh, so in that regard, let's continue the march down that road and let's get into it here today with what we're going to talk about and let's continue to learn from this time period. Let's do that right now. Okay, well, this is probably going to be a shorter episode than we're normally used to on a Monday episode, but, you know, scheduling conflicts being what they are, this is kind of the thing that happens once in a while. I try to keep this stuff to a minimum. I had kind of a decision to make today. I could either do no episode whatsoever, or I could do a short episode. I decided on a short episode because I like to, uh, I like to put in the work. So what I'm going to read you today, this is not a letter, so, well, actually, it kind of is a letter. It's a letter written, uh, by Congress, more or less, and what it's called is the Bill of Rights, A List of Grievances. And it was um, formed up in October of 74, a draft of this uh, appeared in uh, John Adams' documents. And it's that it's that draft that I'm going to uh, read to you and go over with you in some detail. This is actually quite an interesting document. It's an interesting document. We're going to cover part of it today, and, and then we're going to par- cover the, the other part in the next uh, feature-length Monday episode, assuming it is feature-length. Unfortunately, this one won't be. But the reason why it's interesting is because it's called, the title uh, as it was described was A Bill of Rights, A List of Grievances. Bill of Rights sounds familiar, doesn't it? Constitution of the United States, Bill of Rights, First Ten Amendments, you got that? Yeah, well, this appears in 1774. It's not the same document, obviously, but it's um, a similar sentiment. And A List of Grievances, what does that sound like? Sounds like the Declaration of Independence in part, not entirely, but in part. So, and keep in mind, this again, this is 1774 when this document creeps up. And it's going to um, really foreshadow the Declaration of Independence, and in some regard, a little bit less so the Bill of Rights, but a little bit of that, I suppose, is thrown in there as well. So let's begin this uh, this interesting exploration to this particular document. And again, this is from October of 74, excuse, 1774, that is. I, I spend so much time in, in the 1700s with the, my readings, I just, I, I say it like 74, like somebody would say 1974 or something like that. But yeah, 1774. And let's begin reading this uh, up at the top. We're going to go through the whole document, so this isn't going to be piecemeal. It's going to be the whole thing from top to bottom in this episode and in the next feature-length episode next Monday. So this being episode number 34, it's going to be episode number 36 where we cover the rest of this. Not 35, but 36. Quote, Whereas, since the close of the last war, the British Parliament claiming a power of right to bind the people of America by statutes in all cases whatsoever hath in some acts expressly imposed taxes on them, and in others under various pretenses, but in fact for the purpose of raising a revenue, hath imposed rates and duties payable in these colonies, established a board of commissioners with unconstitutional powers, and extended the jurisdiction of courts of admiralty, not only for collecting the said duties, but for the trial of causes merely arising within the body of a county. End quote. Okay, got a great start here to this document. So when it says to bind the people of America in by, by statutes in all cases, I'll read that section to you again, quote, Whereas, since the close of the last war, the British Parliament claiming a power of right to bind the people of America by statutes in all cases whatsoever, end quote, what that's talking about is the D- Declaratory Act. I believe that's what that's talking about anyway. Somebody might disagree with me and say that's uh, a reference to Big Bird on Sesame Street, but unfortunately I think they might be wrong on that one. I'm fairly certain it's the Declaratory Act. What was that? If you recall from previous episodes, when the Stamp Act was repealed in the 1760s, the uh, the Parliament came in as they were doing that and, uh, you know, decided to 
give the American colonists the middle finger and put in put into effect this thing called the Declaratory Act, which basically said we can do whatever we want in the future, by the way. We can we can legislate you to till till kingdom come, and there's nothing you can do about it. So with one hand, they pulled back the Stamp Act, which was illegal and unconstitutional according to the Founding Fathers, and I believe they were right. And with the other hand, they uh, they they tightened the noose around the uh, the throat of the American colonists. Boy, that's a lovely government, isn't it? And no, it's the only government in the history of the world to ever do that. No other government in the history of the world has ever done something sneaky, deceptive, and nefarious like that to their people. Oh, wait, yeah, I, I forgot. Every government has done that. Every government has done that to its people, for the most part. At some point or another, every government tries it. This is not unique to the British Empire, people. You know, tyranny won't let go. It doesn't want to let go of its grip. It will keep strangling you until you white flag and give in. Until you raise the white flag of surrender and just give up. It will keep trying to strangle you. Uh, you have to basically beat tyranny senseless with a, with a kind of determination. Uh, like people determined to be free. Uh, like I said before, if you don't behave like a people determined to be free, the government will sniff that out and they will come for you. Sometimes in broad daylight and sometimes in the dark of night, but they will come for you. So don't let go of your life, liberty, and property, folks. And we're going to talk about that here in a few minutes, if we get to that section. Either that or it's going to be in the next. I think we'll probably get to that in this section, though. And here's another section I find fascinating. Quote, established a board of commissioners with unconstitutional powers, end quote. Hmm, boy. Unconstitutional powers. And it isn't, isn't it interesting they're talking about unconstitutional powers. Some people think there was no constitution at this time, right? They, well, they, the United States Constitution didn't exist. Of course not. But these people, like, we've seen this in these letters over and over and over again from many people. This term, unconstitutional. These, these, folks in, these folks in the colonies really did understand that they were governed under constitutional rights, ancient rights, by their ancestors. The charters of the colonies, etc., and other documents going all the way back to the Magna Carta. That, in the aggregate, that's what these people really largely refer to as their constitution, as I understand it. And a board of commissioners with unconstitutional powers. Has this happened in the United States at all since the Revolutionary War? Ask yourself that question. Because if we don't, you know, like I've said this before, and I'll, I'll say it again, you know, we can study this history, but if we don't try to apply this to today and learn the lessons from history so that we don't repeat the same mistakes again, or at least so we, if the same mistakes, if the same mistakes have been repeated, at least we understand that they've been repeated. I mean, that's the first step to solving a problem, is you have to understand that there's a problem. So has this happened? A board of commissioners with unconstitutional powers, has that happened in the United States at all? And some of you folks are going to have an answer to that question. Others are going to be kind of curious. You know what? I don't know. I've never really thought of that before. And it's good you're thinking about it. And then there's going to be a, a bunch of, uh, you know, short-sighted and, frankly, intellectually shallow individuals out there who are probably going to say... Oh, no, it's impossible. We have a constitution. There can't be any unconstitutional powers in the United States. There can never be a board of commissioners with unconstitutional powers. We have a constitution that prevents that, really. That paper document prevents that from happening. How does that happen, exactly? Does the paper document, like, wake up in the middle of the night and kind of walk around all 535 people in Congress, the president also on top of that, and then maybe the nine justices of the Supreme Court and whisper sweet nothings into their ear and, you know, cause them to act all constitutional when they wake up in the morning? Is that how that works? Or does the constitution wake up and, you know, walk itself down Pennsylvania Avenue, just, you know, you know, smacking people upside the head with a rolled up newspaper, uh, getting them to uh, act all constitutional and adhere to... No, that paper document doesn't really do much of anything, except remind us of what our job is. And then it's our job to actually do it. The Constitution's not going to do it. I know how much some uh, some folks out there would like to just, you know, watch their Netflix and pretend that the Constitution is going to defend our rights. It ain't. 
I got I got bad news for you, Netflix folks. It ain't gonna work. I wonder if anybody out there objects to me constantly making fun of Netflix all the time. And again, I'm not making fun of Netflix really. I've I've talked about this before. It's a it's a it's a joke. It's just an example. It, it could be anything else. It could be could be Netflix. It could be something else. A million different things that people get distracted by. And it's fine to watch Netflix. By the way, I don't have a problem with that. It's just you don't don't let it distract you too much. That's that's basically the point I'm trying to make. So don't take me too seriously when I when I go on about Netflix. But I will I will say this. You know, riddle me this. Is there a section of the Constitution that allows for there to be a social security administration? Basically, a giant welfare administration that functions more like a Ponzi scheme than anything else. And, you know, sets up this kind of redistribution of, uh, of funds from current payers and current recipients. And basically transitions this money from one side to the next in this kind of perpetual scheme of, uh, you know, farcical retirement plan. Is there is there a... Uh, a section of the Constitution that addresses that. Now, there's going to be there's going to be some lawyers out there probably because it's always the lawyers that do this. And no offense to you, good lawyers out there, but there's going to be some lawyers out there that talk about so you know Supreme Court case precedent and some stuff that came out of the 1930s and all the rest of it. And you know what? My my advice to you is is you know go find a desert island somewhere you know to square squirrel yourself away with some books and whatnot and just get your mind right while the rest of us actually think logically about this and clear headed about it instead of you know walking around with uh, our head in the sand all the time. Obviously, there's no section of the Constitution that talks about that. There isn't one. Find it for me. Find the word Social Security Administration in the Constitution. You're not going to find it. Find me welfare system in the Constitution. You know, you're going to find that claw that it, you're going to find that preamble, the general welfare, by the way. But that's not in the Constitution. That's in the preamble to the Constitution. There's a difference. And it's got nothing to do with interstate commerce, by the way. I mean, that's what that's what justifies a lot of the uh, the overreach in government these days is interstate commerce. How how in the heck is the Social Security Administration applicable to interstate commerce? I mean, how, how, what kind of a delusional mind would actually think that? There's people who try to justify it that way. I'm not making that up. It's got nothing to do with commerce, but they try to. But um, I'll just, I'll leave it up to you to, to think, to stew over that for a while. And that's just one example. There's probably about a thousand of those examples. That's just one, something for you to think about. And if you disagree with me, good news. I want to hear from you. If you think it's constitutional, leave a review on the podcast and explain to me your legal theory on that. And I'll, I'll address it on the podcast. And I'm, I won't make fun of you when I do it. I promise I won't. Um, I, I won't take you to the woodshed. I won't call you any kind of bad names or anything. I'll just, I'll just, I'll recite it exactly how you articulated in the review. And then I will... I'll just let it be. I'll be like, okay, they disagree with me, and here's why. Everybody else on the podcast, make of that what you will. Go out and start reading some books and figure it out. And don't take my word for it. You know, go read the Constitution and figure out where in there the Social Security Administration lies. And you're probably going to need a magnifying glass in about 10,000 years to find it, but you might find it somewhere buried in Article 1, 2, 3. I, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I'm just ballparking it here, but you might find it in there somewhere. But I, I, I don't know. I, I've tried. I, I can't find it. Personally, I can't find it. It's almost like it doesn't exist. Well, then how does the uh, how does the government do it, Roman? I don't understand. If it's not if it's not in the Constitution, how does the how does the government do it? I don't know. How does the government do anything that's illegal? I mean, answer me that. I mean, how many times has the Supreme Court struck something down as unconstitutional? And it happens in like in the eleventh hour or many many years after the government has been doing it. That that's how they did it. And here here's a here's kind of a I don't know kind of a. Uh, a civics lesson, I guess, for, as, a, as a sidebar. I'm going to sidebar this thing for you. Because this is applicable to the document we're talking about here. Again, when it, when it comes to establishing a board of commissioners with unconstitutional powers, this is not a joking matter. This is serious. The Founding Fathers thought it so serious, they pulled together quite a few people from all of these colonies, a great many of them, 
and organized them in a Congress, in a convention, and they had to travel from so far away. This was not an easy thing to do. You didn't hop in the, uh, you didn't hop in the old caddy and, you know, drive a few hundred miles down the road and go meet it. That's not how this works. Some of these people traveled quite a distance to get to Philadelphia. Uh, John Adams had one of the shorter trips for some of these people, but they, they did all that, and they wrote this document, and they, they haggled about it in, con- in, in open Congress, and then actually, you know, wrote it all up and all that. They did all that work and wrote, talked about, you know, establishing a board of commissioners with unconstitutional powers. They did it for a reason. It's not it's not so that we could all just kind of laugh about it in the 21st century. They're, tr- they're trying to get our attention from 1774. They're broadcasting from 1774. Pay attention. Pay attention. But anyway, that sidebar, all it really, there, there's two ways, well, arguably, there's a couple, loosely, there's a couple of ways that you can amend the Constitution. You can do it, you can do it the proper way, and it's in the Constitution, go read it. Look, we're going to cover that later, I'm not going to get too off, too far off into the weeds on that. You can do it the right way, or you can get three branches of government to agree with one another to amend the Constitution and do, and, and just do it that way. And you don't even need very many people to get that job done. All you need is a majority of people in the House right now, it depends on what era we're talking about here, but right now there's 435 people in there, in the in the House of Representatives. And then there's 100 people over on the Senate, right? And all you really need to do is get 51 of them, or 60 if you're trying to do filibuster situations. And then you need to have one president sign it into law, and then you need to get five Supreme Court justices to say it's okay. And congratulations, you've just amended the Constitution of the United States. Do you get it? There's the, There's a... There's the, there's a right way to amend the Constitution, and then there's the way I just described to you. And those are two completely different things. One of them is legal, and the other one is illegal. And people don't really pay attention to this, but that's how the system works. Kind of interesting, isn't it? It's kind of sad when you really think about it. And it's uh, it's there's basically an extra constitutional, that is to say, and there's a there's a way outside of the Constitution to amend the Constitution. Fascinating, right? Now it's not legal. I'm not saying it's legal. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's legal. I'm not saying it's justified. I'm, I'm just saying that's how they do it. So if you want to know how in the world somebody would set up a, or establish a board of commissioners with unconstitutional powers, that's one way they do it. All you got to do is just get enough people at the right time to say yes, and you've done it. And you don't have to get, you don't have to go get, get a referendum from the states and get them to ratify an amendment. You don't have to do any of that crap. And there are people who know this, and this is this is how they try to change this country. This is how they try to change the United States of America. And in, in a few cases, they've actually pulled it off. And it's something to pay attention to. You don't want to let that go. And we will be talking a lot about that when we start talking about the Constitution. But I wanted to address that there so that you know that, yes, it can happen today. Because some, some folks out there might literally, you know, think to themselves, how well, you know, establish a board of commissioners with unconstitutional powers. Well, that can't happen today. Uh, yes, it actually can. And I just described to you how it happens. Illegally. Anywho, let's continue reading on here. Quote, And whereas in consequence of other statutes, judges, who before held only estates at will in their offices, have been made dependent on the crown alone for their salaries, and standing armies kept in times of peace, and it has lately been resolved in Parliament that by force of a statute made in the 35th year of the reign of King Henry VIII, Colonists may be transported to England and tried there upon accusations for treasons and misprisons or concealments of treasons committed in the colonies. And by a late statute, such trials have been directed in cases therein mentioned, end quote. All right. 
And yeah, it actually mentioned King Henry VIII. They're basically saying that that's that statement in there about, you know, quote, that by force of a statute made in the 35th year of the reign of King Henry VIII, colonists may be transported to England and tried there upon accusations for treasons, end quote. Basically saying that Parliament reached back in time and pulled some obscure, you know, thing that King Henry did and said, oh, this justifies our pulling people out of the colonies and hauling them back to Britain for trial. Okay, just in case you're curious, what did he say about King Henry VIII? That's what I said about King... Oh, that's what the Founding Fathers said about King Henry VIII. This is a fascinating line right here, quote, And whereas in consequence of other statutes, judges who before held only estates at will in their offices have been made dependent on the crown alone for their salaries, end quote. You know, the government likes to do that, doesn't it? And I'm not just talking about the United States government today. Don't, don't, I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm talking about King Henry VIII here. And you know, also, you know, countries around the world like to do this too, today and in the past. You know, these, these kings and uh, queens and tyrants, you know, the czars and the, uh, the Caesars and the Kaisers and all the rest of them, they like to make people dependent upon the crown for their salaries, don't they? You should be watchful of this. Keep an eye out for this. This is one of those moments, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. Pay attention. Pay attention. Warning. Warning from history. The Founding Fathers are trying to tell you something. Can you hear them? I know it's a little I know it's a little quiet because they're broadcasting from 1774, but one more time, loud and proud. Quote, And whereas in consequence of other statutes, judges who before held only estates at will in their offices have been made dependent on the Crown alone for their salaries. End quote. This is dangerous stuff, ladies and gentlemen. And if you think that's not happening today, I strongly suggest you look at that again. And it may not be about judges. It may be about something else. It may be about multiple things. Maybe. I could give you examples, but I'm not. I'm going to leave that one a mystery. I'm going to let you... And some of you folks out there are going to know what I'm talking about without me even saying it. Pay attention to that one. Very interesting stuff. Very interesting stuff going on with that one. Oh, and my favorite line. We've talked about this a lot before. Quote, And standing armies kept in times of peace. End quote. Didn't I tell you that the Founding Fathers were very skeptical of a standing army? It keeps showing up, doesn't it? This is not the first time, nor will it be the last. We are going to talk about this more than one more time after this. I guarantee it. Because I've already got an episode lined up in the distant future that's going to talk about this. It's probably going to be a year before I get to that episode. But boy, are we going to talk about it. And then there's another one that's coming up probably in the short term that's going to talk about that as well. This was once a very, uh, you know, conventional idea that standing armies, in, standing armies in times of peace were a problem, could be a problem, very dangerous, very dangerous. Nowadays, they just, people just kind of let it go and say, oh, it's normal. Well, I don't know. I, I never really got used to it being normal because the Founding Fathers said, don't keep an eye on this. Keep an eye on it, folks. I'm telling you. And again, I say that I say that as a guy who both his parents were in the United States Army. I'm not against the military. I grew, I spent some time growing up on army bases. I absolutely, I, I thoroughly enjoyed my time there, by the way, and I, there were some great people on that base. There really were. And the rest of the time we were in the military, or my parents were in the military, they lived off post, but uh, I really only lived on one, I think it was just, yeah, it was just one, one army base the whole time I was growing up, but it was a great experience. And I have a thorough appreciation of the military. Some folks might think that, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, this Roman character, he's anti-military, he hates the United States Army, how dare he? How dare you? Now, I don't. You know, I absolutely have a fondness for the United States military. It's why I'm so careful about this. Because I want the United States... I, I believe a standing army is necessary, and I believe that the United States military is a pretty good organization overall. Which, and I don't ever want that thing to go dark, which is why I keep an eye on it. And you should too. If you live in the United States, keep a very close watch over the United States military. Part of your job as a citizen is to do exactly that. You're supposed to watch the United States military and be very careful. Don't let that slip under your radar. 
And for you folks out there in the military, if there's anybody listening to this podcast who's in the military, there may be, uh, you, you know what I'm talking about. I think you do. You, you know, because you're there. And for those of you who've been overseas, especially who've deployed overseas, you, you probably know better than anybody. You probably know better than I do how dangerous a standing military can be towards its own population, because maybe you've seen some stuff that other countries have done, uh, that they've done to their own people. Maybe you've seen some stuff, because I know I've heard some stuff. True stories. Something to pay attention to. And then there's this uh, talk, of course, of, quote, colonists may be transported to England and tried thereupon accusations for treason, end quote. They were very upset about this, the Founding Fathers, very upset. They talk about it quite a bit in their letters, and rightfully so. You know, a jury of their peers is what they were looking for. How are you going to have a jury of your peers 3,000 miles away in Britain when you're in the, when, when whatever it is that you did, you did in the colonies? Well, you can't have a jury of your peers over there. That's kind of the whole point. And that's the reason why we have that today, that jury of your peers, the jury trial and all the rest of it. There's a reason for that. You know, the Founding Fathers, you know, may very, in this concern that they had about this, they may very well have been concerned about political prisoners being whisked away in the dark of night to face trial a few thousand miles away by a government that wanted to oppress them. And all that government needed was a reason. And governments always find a reason when they want to. And it could be anything. Absolutely anything. Something that's perfectly fine today may not be fine tomorrow. That's why I always kind of laugh at those people who aren't concerned about government overreach and the, the Fourth Amendment, Fifth Amendment, and all the rest of it. It's because people often say, well, I'm not doing anything wrong. What do I got to worry about? Well, here's what you got to worry about, buddy. You're not the arbiter on whether you're doing something wrong or not. If, if a government ever goes tyrannical, they are going to be the, deter, the term, determining factor on whether you did something wrong or not. And they may think that you're doing something wrong when really you're not. But it doesn't matter what you think. And they might say that, well, you're doing something right today, but tomorrow they might say, well, you're doing that wrong. We're going to arrest you. We're going to haul you off. Political prisoner. That happens all the time around the world. I mean, I mean, things, things change with the wind. Let's continue a little further here. Quote, and whereas in the last session of Parliament three statutes were made, one entitled, An Act to Discontinue in Such Manner and for Such Time as Therein Mentioned, the Landing and Discharging, Landing or Shipping of Goods, Wares, and Merchandise at the Town and Within the Harbor of Boston, in the Province of Massachusetts Bay, in North America. Another entitled, An Act for the Better Regulating of the, go uh, the Government of the Province of Massachusetts Bay in New England. And another entitled, An Act. For the impartial administration of justice in the cases of persons questioned for any act done by them in the execution of the law or for the suppression of riots and tumults in the province of Massachusetts Bay, New England. And another statute was made for making more effectual provisions for the government of the province of Quebec, all of which statutes are impolitic, unjust, and cruel, as well as unconstitutional and most dangerous and destructive of American rights, end quote. Boy, the Founding Fathers sure took this seriously, didn't they? How do we know that? Let me read that to you one more time right there at the end. Quote, All which statutes are impolitic, unjust, and cruel, as well as unconstitutional and most dangerous and destructive of American rights. End quote. Doesn't get much more serious than that. These Founding Fathers, boy, they were not messing around, were they? And what they're talking about here, you might, this might, this is going to be familiar to you folks who are regular listeners of the podcast. Basically, that, that list of things they, they, they went through there, you know, an act to discontinue in such manner and for such time therein, etc., etc., Massachusetts Bay, an act for better regulating government, etc., etc. This, these are the intolerable acts. They're just listing them off. And again, there's that word unconstitutional again. The Founding Fathers were, were really on about this unconstitutional business, right? They absolutely hated that these that this government was doing things unconstitutional. And if 
in any country in the world that has a constitution, as certainly in the United States, if the government does something that's unconstitutional, we should get as riled up as the Founding Fathers were. And if we don't, then what are we? There's a word for it, but I'll just, I'll just leave it an open question. It, it, whatever, it's not, a, it's not a good thing, I'll just put it that way, to just let this kind of stuff blow by. The Founding Fathers didn't let it just blow by. They called it out for what it is, unconstitutional and most dangerous and destructive of American rights. But, you know, all too often, the go-along-to-get-along crowd, the kick-the-can-down-the-road crowd, just wants to let it go. Founding Fathers were not going to let it go. They were going to stand up and they were going to say something. And rightfully so. And yes, the United States government has done things unconstitutional. We've talked about that in this episode. We've talked about it in previous episodes. And why do I mention it? Am I trying to get political with you folks? Uh, You know, modern-day political. Of course, this is a semi-political podcast because we're talking about the Founding Fathers who built a new government, for crying out loud. But it's not a modern political podcast at all. So why do I mention these various unconstitutional things? Because I I have to put it in context so that you know that these things still do happen today. So that we don't we don't make the mistake of saying, oh well, this is 1774 we're talking about here. We're fine today. We got a constitution. It's it, the constitution wakes up in the middle of the night and it defends us. That piece of paper wakes up and starts walking around Washington D.C. defending us. No, it don't. And it, it, the United States government has done plenty of unconstitutional things. I've rattled off a few of those, namely, you know, some court precedent. You know, income tax, late 1800s, unconstitutional. Had to pass an amendment to get that done. There you go. There's a perfectly wonderful. And there's hundreds of these examples. Hundreds of them. And somebody actually might ask the question out there, why on earth would the United States government do something that's unconstitutional, and in some cases blatantly unconstitutional, after a war was fought against such things, and so clearly articulated by the Founding Fathers in this document that we're reading, and in other documents, including the Declaration of Independence? Why would they do it? And I've answered this already to a certain extent, although some are probably going to try to dispute this opinion. Government is naturally predatory. It's an animal. It can't help itself. And if you put your trust in government to defend your rights, probably putting the fox in the hen house, if you know what I mean. It's not going to end well. Those chickens are chickens ain't going to make it through the night. It's going to be a it's going to be a bloodbath in there. So probably, you know, look to other things to protect your rights. So, oh, well, Roman, what on earth? Well, if, if the government's not protecting our rights, then what is? Well, you know, government does protect our rights indirectly in some cases. The, the checks and balances do in some cases, but not all. It's not perfect. That balance between state and federal, again, that helps to defend the rights. But again, it's not perfect. The ultimate guard on that is you. It's you. Because what, like, look to 1774 for the example of this. What was it that defended these people's constitutional rights in 1774 and 75? It wasn't a paper document. It wasn't the Magna Carta. The Magna Carta, the ghost of the Magna Carta did not get resurrected and start wandering around the halls of British Parliament going, Ooh, tyranny must end, ooh, and then, and then scared the, uh, the British politicians into submission and all the rest of it. That's not what happened. What happened was, is the American people, through the Congress... Their representatives there, not just in the general Congress either, by the way, but also in their state houses and in the county level at Fairfax County. We read some of those documents from Fairfax County when we were covering George Washington. They stood up and they defended their rights. That's how that works. The people stood up and they made it plain. Now, the government, uh, King George III didn't like that at all, of course, so then he sent the military out there to start shooting at people. That's exactly what happened. We're going to talk about that. We're getting close, folks. We're getting close to it. Uh, We're laying the foundation here. And... You know, sometimes, you know, when, when people stand up to try to defend their rights, sometimes the government gets angry and starts shooting people. Uh, you know, like I mentioned it before, Tiananmen Square. Perfect example. 
This isn't just the United States that this is limited to. This has happened over and over and over again throughout history. Historians just, uh, historians know this. I mean, we just beat our, people just beat their heads against the wall, the historians do, you know, with the constant plethora of examples of this happening over and over and over again, and people just don't learn the lessons again, which is why this podcast is here. And it's never been easier than it is right now to study the Founding Fathers, because this podcast is here to teach this material. It will never, ever get easier than it is right now. So, you know, if any of you folks are ever talking to your friends or your family, your relatives, and they say, well, I don't have time to study the Founding Fathers, I don't have time to read those books, or what? good news, podcast, fire that thing up a couple hours a week and you're done. Is it going to be perfect? No, but it's going to be a heck of a lot better than anything you're going to get in high school or college, I can tell you that much right now, because we're going to cover a lot more, because this podcast is going to keep going and going and going and going. This ain't just a semester-long course here, folks. Now, with that said, we have reached the end of our time today because, again, my scheduling conflicts are forcing me to run this episode a little bit short, but um, we're going to pick up the rest of this. There's more to this document, and keep in mind, between now and that episode, I want you to be thinking about how, how seriously the Founding Fathers took it that their constitutional rights are being violated. They, they keep using this word unconstitutional in this document more than once. They keep using that word for a reason. It's very serious stuff we're talking about here. This doesn't get much more serious than this. This is really a, the big-ticket item. Between the intolerable acts, standing armies, colonists being transported back to England, this declaratory act, Parliament can do whatever it darn well pleases, all of this had the, uh, had the, had the Founding Fathers really worked up. Again, this was not a group of people that were just angry about paying taxes, and they were selfish and blah, 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 started a war, so on and so forth. They didn't start a war. The, the British government started a war. They're the ones who started the shooting war. Founding Fathers are just standing up for their rights, that's all. So don't buy into the propaganda that's out there about the Founding Fathers. Were they perfect? No. Do I have grievances against the Founding Fathers? Absolutely. But, you know, they're still, they're still very wise men, and they still did some incredible stuff, and at the very least, at least they stood up for their rights. And by doing that, they stood up for the rights of a lot of other people, too. And it gave the world at least something to point at. And it was a dark world at the time. Most people were living under some form of despotism at the time. And this gave, this gave a lot of people in the world something to point at and go, look, look at that. Look what's going on over there. They have started something over there that's really interesting. Maybe we should try that. Maybe we should try to take those principles and make something out of them. Good idea. So thank you for joining me on this episode. Really appreciate you folks being here. This is a great discussion, isn't it? You know, where else are you going to get a discussion like this about the Founding Fathers? And I appreciate you folks uh, continuing to listen to the podcast, continue to join us over here on our study group, and I appreciate you getting the word out about the podcast, you know, sharing it to friends and family, whatever else. Uh, I really appreciate that kind of work uh, as well on the part of you folks. It's, uh, it's a great honor to me to have you here. I'm going to skip my usual uh, conclusion section again because of the uh, the unfortunate scheduling issues that I've had this week. Uh, you folks know what that's like. You folks who, you know, who work and everything, you guys got full-time jobs. You know what happens when you have one of those weeks where things just don't go the way they're supposed to. Yeah, this has been one of those weeks, but I'm glad to be able to do this podcast still, and uh, we'll keep, keep the episodes coming. I got another uh, episode coming for the Thursday broadcast, the short podcast. Of course, like this one was short, but uh, usually our short schedule on Thursday, and then, of course, we'll be back to talking about the letters and whatnot on next Monday. So look forward to that. And with that said, this is Roman signing off. Thank you. <laughs>